This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you. Turn with me in the Holy Scriptures this morning to the 39th chapter of the book of Genesis. God's Word at Genesis 39, verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, And all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person, and well favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused, and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand, and fled, and got him out. And it came to pass, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, 
and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house, and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in in Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. There ends our reading of the Word of God this morning. This passage bears on the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 41, instruction concerning the seventh commandment which is, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Questions and answers 108 and 109. What doth the seventh commandment teach us? That all uncleanness is accursed of God, and that therefore we must with all our hearts detest the same, and live chastely and temperately, whether in holy wedlock or in single life. Doth God forbid in this commandment only adultery and such like gross sins, since both our body and soul are temples of the Holy Ghost? He commands us to preserve them pure and holy. Therefore he forbids all unchaste actions, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever can entice men thereto. Cleanness, chastity, temperance, holy wedlock. These are terms not very often heard anymore. Who today is concerned for chastity, for cleanness, 
for temperance, for the holiness of marriage. And who today regards their body and their soul as temples of the Holy Spirit. This certainly is not the viewpoint of the ungodly, the immoral world in which we are called to live. The latest census, the results of the 2010 census have recently been released. And for the first time in the history of our country, married couples as the heads of households are in the minority. Married couples represent in our country 48% of all households. The majority are living openly in immorality. Neither is there much interest in these things on the part of the churches today. The churches turn the other way at members who are living in immorality, who are living unchastely, intemperately, who are living openly in desecration of God's institution of merit. But there is one who is interested in these things that Lord's Day 41 speaks of. Chastity, temperance, the holiness of marriage, our bodies and our souls as temples of the Holy Spirit. And that one is God, the holy God. He shows that interest in the seventh commandment of his law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. In the seventh commandment, God calls men to chastity, to temperance, to holiness, in marriage, and in single life. And in the seventh commandment, God condemns all impurity and all immorality. The fundamental will of God expressed in the seventh commandment can be stated very simply. Sex is for marriage, and marriage is for life. That is the teaching of the seventh commandment. 
The seventh commandment, quite obviously, has implications for those members of the congregation who are married. The language of the seventh commandment itself makes that plain, for the seventh commandment forbids adultery, and adultery is immorality on the part of married persons. Lord's Day 41 applies the seventh commandment to those who are living in holy wedlock, that is, those who are married. I want to apply the seventh commandment to marriage next time. Next time, to look with you at the application of the seventh commandment to holy wedlock. But the seventh commandment also has important implications for those who are living singly in the congregation. Question and answer 108 speaks of the single life. This is a significant percentage of the church's membership. The single members of the church. They include the children and the young people who are gathered with us for worship this morning, who are like Joseph in Genesis 39. The single members of the congregation include those who for one reason or another do not marry. They are included. The single members of the congregation include the widows and the widowers who through death have lost their spouse. What instruction now does the seventh commandment have for those who are living in single life? I call your attention to the seventh commandment this morning, focusing on those who are living the single life, God's will for single Christians. Let's notice together, first of all, a good gift of God. Let's notice in the second place, a grievous evil. And let's notice finally, a glorious calling. We must be clear this morning that it is not the teaching of the seventh commandment, nor is it the teaching of Holy Scripture anywhere that sex itself is to be condemned, or that sexual relationships are to be regarded as something shameful and dirty, something that we do not talk about. The seventh commandment forbids adultery. Adultery is not sex, but adultery 
is unlawful sex, illicit sex. It is the abuse of the good gift of God. Sex is a good gift of God. God made the first man and the first woman with a sexual nature. He did not create Adam and Eve with the same nature as the angels who are neither male nor female and who do not marry. But God created Adam and Eve, male and female. He created them with a sexual aspect to their nature, within the bond of marriage, in the most intimate relationship between a husband and a wife, sexual relationships have a good and an honorable place. This is the clear teaching of Holy Scripture. The good gift of sex is something that Solomon often refers to in his writings, the book of Proverbs and the Song of Solomon. The young man of Proverbs must not go in to the strange woman over and over again. Solomon gives his son that instruction. He is to drink waters out of his own cistern. What he may not seek from a strange woman, a prostitute, he must find one day with his own Wife, let her breasts satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished, says Solomon, always with her love. Proverbs 5, verse 19. It would be a good thing for the young people in the congregation this afternoon to read Proverbs Chapter 5, the Song of Solomon extols the sexual intimacy and the pleasure between a husband and a wife, extols them as a wonderful picture of the relationship between God and Christ and the church. The writer of the epistle to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, verse 4, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. Everywhere, Scripture teaches that sexual relationships are a good gift of God. Several things follow 
from the truth that sex is a good gift of God. First, just exactly because this is true, we parents ought to give our children good instruction with regard to this aspect of their nature. We mustn't be too embarrassed, too prudish to talk about these things with our children. God is not too embarrassed to talk about these things with His children. The Word of God is very explicit about these things. We must be very explicit about these things with our children. We must take this aspect of our calling to instruct our children seriously. At the same time, young people, this is where you must go with the questions that you have with regard to this aspect of your nature. Not to your friends, not to anyone else, you must go to your parents. Secondly, the fact that sex is a good gift of God underscores an important truth of God's Word. And that truth is this, that not only our souls the spiritual aspect of our nature, but also our bodies belong to the Lord. We must be impressed with that. You young people must be impressed with that. It's that truth that we confessed already in the opening Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is thy only comfort in life and death that I, with body and soul, belong in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? Christ has redeemed us, body and soul. The Holy Spirit dwells in us in such a way that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. This is the Apostles' teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in verses 19 and 20 following the exhortation in verse 18. Flee fornication. What? Know ye not that your body 
is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price, the price of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Third, it follows that if sex is a good gift of God, marriage, in which this gift is to be exercised and enjoyed, is a good gift of God as well. To be sure, it is not God's will that all His people marry. There are some in the church who choose not to be married, who have the gift for singleness. There are others who, although they desire to be married, are not able to marry because in His providence, God does not bring them a spouse. They pray and pray. Their parents pray on their behalf. We pray, the rest of the church, for them. But God does not answer their prayers or ours by bringing them a husband or a wife. That's not to say that God does not answer their prayers. He does. They must believe that. He does. He does. By giving them the grace for singleness. But ordinarily, God leads His people into marriage. And God brings to every man his wife and to every woman her husband as our reformed form for marriage puts it. The marriage relationship, therefore, is a good gift of God. The marriage relationship is not to be looked down upon as an inferior relationship by the church. Among the many good things that were restored to the church through the Reformation, this also was restored to the church, a more biblical view of marriage and the family. The Reformers reacted against the sexual filth in the Roman Catholic Church in their day. And the Reformers promoted in the church a proper view of marriage, giving to the church once again the right view of this relationship. The Roman Catholic Church 
forbade even the clergy to marry at all, as is the case in the Roman Catholic Church still today. The Reformers reacted against that themselves, marrying. That prohibition of Rome has been judged by God with all of the immorality that characterized the clergy in that church. That prohibition is altogether unbiblical. The priests and Levites in the Old Testament married. Many of the apostles we know married. And even the apostle Paul, who did not marry, nevertheless insisted in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 5 that he had the right to marry. Marriage is a good gift of God. We may rejoice, those of us who live in marriage, at this good gift of God to us. And within our marriage, we may enjoy the good gift of God, that is sex. It is not sexual relationships, therefore, but it is the abuse of sex that is forbidden by the seventh commandment. The grievous evil that is condemned by the seventh commandment assumes many forms. They are mentioned, they're specified by our Heidelberg Catechism. The grievous sin that is condemned by the seventh commandment includes sexual relationships before marriage and outside of the bond of marriage. Sex is a good gift of God. But it is a good gift of God to be enjoyed exclusively within the bond of marriage. Joseph understood this will of God. And Joseph was determined to live in obedience to this will of God. As Genesis 39 makes very clear, verses 8 through 10. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not, knoweth not what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand, there is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? 
And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her, even to be with her. This has implications for the dating of the young people of the church. Implications that you must take seriously. Young people, you must not make of dating a game, a filthy game, a game that has as its purpose the satisfaction of your carnal lust. You may not make of dating that filthy game. You must recognize, as Joseph did, the fundamental will of God that prohibits sexual relationships outside of marriage. Included in the grievous evil that is forbidden by the seventh commandment is sexual activity between members of the same sex. Homosexuality and lesbianism. There are many who are justifying this evil in the churches today. They are approving. They are speaking approvingly of same-sex marriages. They are not only permitting their members to live this way, but their clergy, the Bible, condemns this grievous evil. And the Bible condemns those who live impenitently in this grievous sin. Included in that which is forbidden by the seventh commandment is sexual violence. Sexual violence. Rape. Pedophilia. Incest. And any form of sexual abuse, even in marriage. Included in the grievous evil that is forbidden by the seventh commandment is pornography. Pornographic magazines. Pornographic books, pornographic videos, and especially in our day, the pornography on the internet. The Apostle John condemns in 1 John 2, verse 16, the lust of the eyes. The Apostle Peter 
speaks of the judgment of God. In 2 Peter 2, verse 14, on those who have eyes, eyes full of adultery. It is striking that in Genesis 39, verse 7, we read about Potiphar's wife, that she cast her eyes upon Joseph. Recent reports, like the report lately published in Christianity Today, an evangelical magazine, an article that speaks of porn's stranglehold. Not porn's stranglehold on the world, but porn's stranglehold on those who profess to be Christians. All kinds of results of surveys in the world and in the church. Huge percentages of men who are addicted to the sin of pornography. You have a computer in your house. Most everybody here does. See to it that there is accountability, especially accountability, wives, to your husbands and husbands to your sons. Accountability for what is seen and viewed on that computer and see to it that there are controls on that computer. This addiction is destroying marriages if you are addicted to this evil. You see to it that this week you get help, spiritual help, for that addiction. Help through the elders, perhaps, of your congregation. Included in the evils that are forbidden by the seventh commandment are all unchaste words. Question and answer 109 speaks of unchaste words. These may be words that invite to this sin, the words undoubtedly that Potiphar's wife spoke to Joseph, not only come lie with me, 
but all of the other words that led up to that wicked invitation. Included are the unchaste words of much of the popular music today. Another important reason why the members of the church must be exceedingly careful of the kind of music that they and their young people are listening to. Or, these unchaste words may be the jokes about this sin, that laugh at this sin and trivialize this sin. Or these unchaste words may be the words of the so-called experts, the professionals these days, and the words of the religious leaders who back them up, that encourage the sin against the seventh commandment and justify this sin. Unchaste words that do not condemn this evil among the young people, but speak only of the importance of safe sex. Unchaste words that speak of the evil of homosexuality and lesbianism as an alternative lifestyle. And words that speak not of fornication, but of cohabiting. Included is whatever entices others to this sin. Not only the lustful gaze, but what entices the lustful gaze. For this reason, the church has always condemned social dancing. That's not Protestant Reformed. That's not recent. The church of the New Testament has always condemned this evil. Whatever entices to this sin, that requires modesty in dress. Young people, that's called for by the seventh commandment. Especially the young women of the congregation. Modesty in your everyday dress. Modesty this summer on the beach. And modesty certainly in your dress to church. All these grievous evils and many more besides are condemned by the will of God in the seventh commandment. Those who continue unrepentant in these sins come under the judgment of God. That is a judgment of God already in this life. It may be the judgment of God in the diseases that accompany the disobedience often 
to the seventh commandment. It may be the judgment of God in disrupted relationships, the ruin even of a marriage. It may be the judgment of God in financial distress or even disaster because of a man's addiction to these evils. But especially, a judgment of God in the life to come. But in the cross of Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness for those who have fallen into the sin against the seventh commandment. That is the word of the gospel. The good news that must be sounded in the congregation this morning. Thank God for His grace that covers this sin. The guilt of this sin. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit that breaks the awful power of this sin, that liberates from the bondage to this sin. The Apostle Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verses 9 and 10, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate homosexuals, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes on, verse 11, but such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That is the word of the gospel. That word of the gospel proclaims not only forgiveness, but that word of the gospel also sets before us a glorious calling in thankfulness to God for this so great a salvation, a glorious calling with respect specifically to the seventh commandment. A glorious calling because it is the calling to glorify God in our bodies as well as in our spirits. That is strikingly what Joseph was interested in. That's what he told Potiphar's wife. Verse 9, the last part. How can I do this great wickedness? and sin, not against my master, 
not even against you, but sin against God, against God. He understood his calling in the body to glorify God, his Redeemer. First of all, that calling is a calling in our hearts, says the Catechism in the 108th answer. In our hearts to detest, detest the sins against the seventh commandment. To detest them. To hate them, that is. Secondly, the glorious calling is the calling that we flee from fornication. That's the exhortation of the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. And that's exactly what Joseph did. He fled. That's what we must do. We must flee fornication. We mustn't be entertained by fornication. We mustn't enjoy fornication as we view it on the screen of our computer. We mustn't even put ourselves in places and in situations in which we might be tempted to fornication. Joseph would not even be with her thereafter in the house. We must flee fornication. And thirdly, the calling is that we live chastely and temperately. That is, that we live purely and that we live in such a way that we exercise self-control. We bring our body and the members of our body into subjection to Christ and to the will of Christ. God rewards those carry out this glorious calling to be sure those who carry out this calling strive to carry out this calling struggle to be in obedience to the will of God in the seventh commandment condemn the evils that are condemned by God in this commandment, to be sure. We're going to be rejected by the world. The world, young people, is going to laugh at you. The world on the campus of most colleges they're going to scorn you. 
And it may even be persecute you. That's what happened to Joseph. That was the fruit of his obedience to God's will in the seventh commandment. This may very well be what happens to you because you are determined to live chastely and temperately. But those who by God's grace live in obedience to the seventh commandment, none of us ever perfectly but nevertheless, who strive to live in obedience to the seventh commandment, are blessed by God. The world laughs, but that laughing world is going to come one day under the judgment of the wrath of a holy God. But we, the blessing of God, the blessing of God in this life, the blessing of the knowledge of His favor, and that blessing will be a blessing one day in eternal light and glory when with both the soul and the body at last the resurrected the glorified the body made perfect we will serve our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And we will serve His heavenly Father forever. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, bless the Word. Preach this morning. Bind Thy will upon our hearts so that we willingly submit ourselves unto Thy will. And grant, Heavenly Father, as those redeemed body and soul, we may serve Thee, body and soul, in this life and our desire in glory hereafter. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.